Executive Director of Heal Well. We make massage therapy matter. And I'm Kathy Ryan, registered massage therapist from British Columbia, Canada, and a major Heal Well fangirl. And this is Massage Therapy Without Borders, the podcast where we discuss the big and sticky issues in the massage profession through the lens of Canadian and American practice, regulation, and education. We bring on very fancy informed guests to not only discuss these issues, but to formulate and share some possible solutions to move us forward. If you like the podcast, please take a few minutes to go to iTunes and leave us a review. It really means a lot when people who aren't us tell you that you should listen to our podcast. Uh, please share it and post and like and do all the things on social media to help us make this conversation as relevant and juicy as possible. Send us an email at info at healwell, H-E-A-L-W-E-L-L.org, and let us know what interests and concerns you in the profession. We do this for you, so let us know what you want to hear about. Uh, as always, we like to start off with a little massage pun to uh, set the stage. Life's too short to be serious all the time, so if you can't laugh at yourself, call us and we'll laugh at you. Um, okay, are you guys ready? Yeah. Why, why should you... Why should you never go out with an ashiatsu practitioner? They walk all over you. <laughs> That's where I thought you might be going. All right. That kind of day. It's that kind of day. It's that kind of day every day for me. But, um, so Kathy, what's happening? How are you doing today? Hey, we're, we're hanging in there over here and uh, yeah, um, yeah, just doing our best to stay sane um, and ride out this crazy storm. Yeah, yeah, I think that, that tends to be, I just uh, spoke with somebody who's out in Portland uh, just before we got on the, on the uh, show here today and, you know, I said, how you doing? And he said, well, uh, it's kind of anxious, but you know, everything's okay. And, and it was that way that we all do, like, I'm, I'm, I'm telling myself as much as I'm telling you, it's okay, it's all going to be okay. Um, so yeah, we're, we're in that same place here. And some of the latest metrics that have come out, you know, I'm in the sort of Washington DC metro area, and they're, they're looking at our infection spike to happen sometime in mid-May, um, which doesn't stop everyone here from pretending like we're, the worst is over. Um, but that's, that's sort of what we're looking at. Um, those of us who are um, supporters of science. So uh, I'm so excited today to be uh, welcoming to the show, Dr. Ann Blair Kennedy, affectionately known by many as ABK. Uh, and um, just, I, I just can't say enough uh, great things about this person. And if we, if we went through ABK's whole resume, that would be our show for today. So, um, her, her most recent award that I'm aware of uh, is the um, Humanitarian Award that was given by AMTA, is that right? Foundation and- The, the uh, Massage Therapy health. Foundation. Okay. In performance um, health, yes. In performance health. Uh, and just the, the way that ABK does what she does in the profession and for the profession uh, sets just such a beautiful example for the rest of us. And, She's joined us today to talk about a project that uh, was just launched that she and some other very smart and fantastic people have put together. Uh, but I do want to give you a few minutes, ABK, to tell us um, what you think our listeners need to know about you and sort of your history in the profession and, and why you care about massage therapy. Well, I care about massage therapy because I'm a massage therapist and I've been a massage therapist and state licensed 
and board certified um, since 1999. So um, in my 20, it'll be 21 years in September this year. Um, I'm also a professor at the University of South Carolina School of Medicine, Greenville. And I went about getting to med school in a very odd way. Um, I'm not like many med school professors because my first two degrees happened to be in theater. Yes, yes, theater. <laughs> you are a um, massage so, <laughs> <laughs> And then I went and got my massage degree, uh, credential and my license and had a very successful practice in a rural community here in South Carolina and then got interested in research. Um, and because of that interest in research, I decided if I wanted to make the research better because I was getting frustrated because the research wasn't applicable to my practice, I couldn't use a lot of it because they didn't include massage therapists. So if we want research to be better, we need more massage therapists participating in research. So that's why I went back to school and got my doctorate. I have a doctor of public health. I don't have a PhD. Mine is an applied degree, so it's a DRPH, uh, which really was, uh, when it was explained to me when I was looking at which degree program to go with, I went with DRPH because I was told it was specifically applied and about um, leadership in public health. And that seemed to me what I was already doing because <laughs> I am very active with the American Massage Therapy Association in full transparency. I am the chair of governance for the association. And I was also working, uh, I have, think right when I started my degree, I was on the board for the Massage Therapy Foundation. I was a trustee for four years with them from 2012 to 2016. Um, and I am also the executive editor and editor-in-chief of the International Journal of Therapeutic Massage and Bodywork, our open access journal that is indexed in PubMed, um, that is free not only to all who want to read it, but to anybody who wants to publish with us. We don't charge any fees to publish in IJTMB, which is very unusual for a lot of open access journals. So yes. that's kind of me. Okay. Okay, I don't know that I can clap enough for all. <laughs> I mean, seriously, like every single bit of that, it deserves like all the accolades that we can throw you away. Definitely. And I, I feel like um, ABK is another one of these people, kind of like um, Danelle DeGowan, who um, the combination of experience and, and education, it makes you a particularly effective Swiss army knife of change. Um, that, you know, really understanding the different aspects that come together to create the roadblocks that we try to loosen and to just be able to come from that leadership perspective of, okay, how do we, what are the problems and how do we lead people away from what has gotten us into this trouble, um, but really understanding the, the nuts and bolts of the various pieces so you can do that in a humane way. Well, so I, I've been listening to the podcast, and so I was really thrilled when you asked me to be on too, because I was like, oh, <laughs> yay, yay. Um, but I have loved all the things that everybody's been saying, and you've had some of my most favorite people in the world on with Pam Finch, who has taught the best ethics class that I have ever taken. Um, loved that class dearly, um, and Danelda and John Boletto is one of, I consider him one of my mentors, um, so it was been really interesting to hear their conversations and then to apply it to where I am and with what I do. So in particular, one of the pieces I found so interesting was the conversation with John in talking about how we think that we may need to get to that conversation and the soft skills first. Yeah. 
and um, not necessarily go into the hands-on because in medical school, we have actually shifted it where they are getting hands-on first along with the soft skills is in, you know, interspersed in, in it as well. But we have even been talking about how can we front load some of these other communication and uh, behavioral social population health to get them, the students aligned and away from the test. Yeah. Because just like with massage, who where we're teaching to the test, guess yeah. what we do in medical school? We teach to the test. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> and the test doesn't have a face or feelings or any of those things. Right. And yeah. when they move, progress, getting closer to taking to the test, that's all a, a lot of them want to learn. Yeah. Right. But the shift is also that test has just turned to pass fail. Mm. And that will start next year for medical students. Wow. I have mm -hmm. so many feelings about that. Oh, okay. I mean, <laughs> well, that's just their first test. So yeah. that first test, yeah. if you're familiar with medical education at all, sorry, I'm going down this road. No, no, please go down this road. <laughs> because this is something that has now taken me like three or four years to learn. Yeah. Um, it's called, it's, the test is called step one and they okay. take step, they take three steps. So step one is usually within their first two years of medical school, usually after the second year, depending on what medical school they go to. And that score has been used as a triage score to allow what specialty these students would be able to be accepted in for residency. Uh-huh. So the higher the score would mean that you could get into the specialty that you wanted to. So okay. you were shooting for these certain scores. And if you've got something really low, you would have to go to met family medicine. Oh, I see. That would be all you could do okay. versus aspiring to go into family medicine. Yeah. Um, and the, the test was never intended to become this triage. And mm -hmm. so, but that's how it ended up. So now that it's going past fail, there's a lot of people going, okay, now what? what how do we change yeah. curriculum? How do we change figuring out where people go to residency. Yeah. Wow. It's, it's, so, it's so fascinating to me, um, you know, because when we, when we really start to dissect across the regulated health professions, I, I live and work in a regulated province here in BC, you know, we really start to discover that we're much more alike than we are different in, in a lot of areas and our issues are, are the same. You know, I think um, for me, I've spent a hefty part of my massage therapy career involved with the regulators. So initially in Ontario as a part of the examinations team for the provincial licensing exam um, for 10 years. And then when I moved to BC, committee member and then eventually board member with our, our regulator here in BC. and and during that time spent, you know, with the regulator BC, I had the privilege of attending uh, conferences that were specifically for all regulators. So I'm sitting at a round table with board members from the College of Physicians and the College of Physiotherapists and, you know, all of the various regulated health professions sitting at the table and listening to the dialogue around what some of their issues are. And I'm like, it's the issues are the same thing. It's yes. the same darn thing, you know. So, you know, even though we have this hierarchy out there in the world of, you know, specialists, oh, family medicine, oh, 
you know, physiotherapist, ooh, massage therapist, you know, we, we have this sort of artificial hierarchy, let's say. Um, really, yeah. a lot of the, the, the issues are the same. And from a patient perspective, patients are looking for essentially the same things from their care providers. You know, it's really not. Yeah. Yeah. Different, you know, we just did a, we've been doing these webinars for um, pediatric massage in the hospital setting. And we just did a, um, one of the episodes with one of our pediatric oncologist um, colleagues. And part of the webinar we talked about, you know, we sort of asked her to give us sort of a, like, what's a day in the life of a pediatric oncologist? And, you know, she's talking about all these things. And, and, you know, at the end I said, so, you know, maybe this is a, a, a trick question, but if you were gonna put a percentage on how much of your job is about science and how much of your job is about other stuff, like how would it break out? And she said like, almost without missing a beat, 90% of my job is communication. She said, I have to know the science and I have to stay up on the science because it's yeah. constantly changing and I can't, the communication is useless if I can't back it up with information, but so yeah. much of that communication is between other providers, between families and providers and just being able, you can't collaborate if you can't communicate. And we all have to be able to do both of those things to be successful, even in private practice. And I think that's one of the pieces that gets misunderstood is like, well, it's just me in my office with my clients. Well, right, but your clients are seeing other providers and you're seeing other clients and this is a web, you're, no one's an island. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. And that communication is so vital and it can, from all the different perspectives, the missteps that can be made by providers, whatever type of healthcare provider they are, can really damage patients and clients in so many ways that they have no idea what it is. Yep, absolutely. Um, and it can be the simplest little thing that is said in yeah. In a thrown off manner. Yeah. And I think of, um, so one of the sessions that I teach for the students at the med school is in the third year, um, I bring in a panel of LGBTQ patients. Mm -hmm. And this year, um, we had two trans patients, one a trans man, one a trans woman, and um, a gay man and a lesbian woman come in and just talk about their experience in the healthcare system. And um, the students are asking these phenomenal and interesting and in intricate questions to this panel. And the trans woman eventually said, you know, y'all are just adorable. You're asking these great questions. But really what it comes down to is we just want you to be kind and treat us like a human being. Yep. <laughs> right. <laughs> womp, womp. And they were... <laughs> and and the, it just kind of stopped the room for a minute. Yeah. And, they were like, oh, okay, yeah, <laughs> be kind, exactly. <laughs> treat me like a human. We had we were we had a conversation last year because we were talking about um, here in the District of Columbia. There's going to be a new requirement that you have to take a sort of LGBTQ awareness uh, course as part of your being able to renew your license, which is a victory on on a number of levels. That's but amazing. Also makes you ask the question, like so you will not become an expert on the experience of lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, queer people in two hours. Um, and that's not the goal. The goal is really like these courses could be so much broader because it really is about knowing that you can never be someone else. 
it's not possible to fully understand the experience of even if you go and get like a degree in trans experience or whatever it might be that the bottom line is listen more than you talk be curious more than you're certain and it's going to yes. work out <laughs> yeah interesting it's it's funny that it's not that hard right but it's so very difficult <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> yes and it goes across all health professions yes all through humans. that entire hierarchy hierarchy yes. right it's yes. through everything from totally. the person at the front desk and being down here in the south um mm -hmm. the way i try to bring this up with some of my students who might not have that experience mm -hmm. is to talk about the um the juniors and the trips and the trays that one of the pieces is getting someone's name right yeah and yeah. for those juniors and trips and trays i bring up the example of my husband's best friend who is ralph edsel culbertson the third wow no it's tray my whole life yes yes <laughs> and so that seems to be one way to get some of the students to connect is like, oh yeah, I always had that friend or it's me. And for me, it's the double name. My yeah. first name is legally Ann Blair. Can't, even though it's my preferred name in my electronic health record. Yeah. There's so much that needs to go down in training people just to look at that just information. look for that. For yep. everybody. Yes for everybody. Exactly. Yeah. Not because somebody looks different or is different than me, but that, yeah, almost more that if you see someone who you think looks like you, you should be extra special vigilant to not treat them <laughs> like you and to make those assumptions. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the um, ways I bring that one up in, in class because that's, that's my curriculum. Well, that's it. You have to, I think you have to connect to things people already know and make that kind of like, you know, that parallel that can't be disputed. Oh yeah. Okay. It's not different. Yeah. You're right. I get it. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. at least the way I try to bring it up with them, yes. with them in some points in class. For sure. Well, so and a, this is a place to be. It does feel like a reasonable um, segue into this research project that you've just launched because mm -hmm. I love that you are bringing in the perspectives of all healthcare providers. And I, um, I want you to just get as nerdy as you possibly can as you describe, like, what is it? Um, help us see it and touch it and hold it. And then sort of what do you hope for it? And, um, and then we'll ask you some nerdy questions about it. Awesome. So Project COPE has been the brainchild um, of the melding of, that started out with the melding of my brain and my friend, um, Smitty Hevener Sullivan, who is an RN, um, he's worked in the emergency department for many years, but now he's working on his PhD himself. And um, we started talking about when things were starting to come down. South Carolina was slower in getting diagnoses of the pandemic coming on. And we were really wanting to capture what was going on with healthcare providers. Um, and it started out with a study that had already been started in our emergency department that was looking at um, stress and burnout and what the, as a quality improvement project in the emergency department. And we were thinking about just putting on a, asking if we could add to their 
project of video journals so that we could then look at an ethnography of how people were actually doing because we knew that might help them as well. And as this is all going on and we still haven't really hit, we still had very few cases in South Carolina, but we were seeing it creep down the East Coast and we knew it was coming and we were just waiting on it to explode. We, you know, I was already working from home and I'm watching online all my friends in the massage profession just imploding. And yeah. I'm watching from the perspective of the states canceling their continuing ed and should we, should we not? And then I'm watching my students not be able to have their match day celebration. So for people who aren't familiar with match day in medical schools across the country on, I always think of it, it's right around, um, St. Patrick's Day. So this year it was um, March 20th. It's on that Friday. I'm sure it's like the third or fourth, third Friday of the month in March. Students across the United States get an envelope that tells them where their job will be the next year, where they will start their new job in July, or if they got a job. And so that's called match day. And we didn't get to have it. And so I'm watching my students not be able to celebrate with their families and their friends and their professors and show that joy. And then my kids are out of school and things are just exploding all over the world. And we're like, we're not doing anything about this. We are not figuring out what's going on. And Smitty and I had this conversation about when we look at these world changing events or nation changing events, all the research that we end up looking at comes after. We don't get the during. And is there a way we can capture the during? And is there a way we can capture everybody's experience? Is there a way that we can look at those who have been shut out of the system and those who are locked in and don't have the resources that they need? So what happens to these people in all of these different areas where are they going internally? Are they able to function when they're as I'm watching online, these emergency room doctors having to have these elaborate procedures when they come home just to not get their family sick. As I'm seeing students across the country and all these different professions wanting to graduate early so they can go into this and potentially die. Yeah. It was heartbreaking. And so we wanted to figure out a way that we can get some of this information so that we can be able to chronicle it over time. And coming from that massage perspective, seeing these people who just want to help, and in every other instance, they have been able to help in any of these national breakdowns, 9-11, massage therapists were there. The, the um, tornadoes in Joplin, Missouri years ago, massage therapists were there. They were working on the first responders. We can't be there right now. And as I said to Smitty, I'm like, as I was telling him, I'm like, and remember he was emergency room nurse. I said, massage therapists just wanna go in and help people. He goes, oh, it'd be so great if there could be a massage therapist in here working on me. I'm like, please don't say that. <laughs> Not right now. <laughs> right. We don't wanna give that impression because we don't have enough personal pr protection equipment for the workers that have to be there. I know y'all need this, but if we can't protect you, 
we can't protect the massage therapist coming in either. Yeah. So we wanted to also find something that could potentially give massage therapists something to do and be a part of science. Mm -hmm. So we came up with this project and it just kind of expanded and got bigger and bigger. And we brought in this fabulous, amazing team, which includes another massage therapist, Nikki Monk, who you've also mentioned on your podcast quite a few times, um, who is somebody I dearly love and respect. And we've worked on a couple of projects together. Um, so we have her from Indiana University. Um, we also have Shannon Stark-Taylor, who is a psychologist. She's part of our healthcare system and family medicine. Tom Britt is a professor at Clemson University in organizational psychology. And that includes also his amazing and life-saving for me, graduate student, Chloe Wilson. She's working on her doctorate right now, also an organizational psych, and she is helping run this project like nobody's business. It's fantastic. We also have Melissa Scheffler, who is an associate professor at Clemson, also an organizational psych, and Sarah Griffin, who is a professor at Clemson. Um, we also are probably bringing in an MD really soon, Molly Beninum. This is some of the team that I've worked with before because we do need that MD perspective and we didn't have it yet. Mm -hmm. um, and so we're really just trying to gather some information on uh, moral distress and burnout and um, what all is going on with people. And again, we did that in this video journal. Mm -hmm. And it, though we haven't had a lot of people turn in the video journal yet, but we hope to get more. And it's the ones that have turned it in. I had some nurses and some massage therapists. So again, we have those locked into the system and those locked out. Mm -hmm. And we have one that is a nurse and a massage therapist. Mm -hmm. Oh. Awesome. So that she's been a nurse in, employed for one month and oh. she's been a massage therapist for 15 years. Wow. wow. So to see these dichotomies coming in and the different types of stress and resilience that are coming about to me, what I was thinking about this morning and coming on your podcast was this is allowing massage therapists to chronicle and be a part of the history that we haven't been able to identify yet. Yeah. The massage therapists who have worked during these major events, their experiences have not been captured. I have not been able to find in the literature anything in the scientific literature. Mm -hmm. there, there are things in some of the professional literature about the experiences that massage therapists had from working at, um, something after Hurricane Katrina or after 9-11, but we're not capturing it necessarily in a scientific way to show that they are part of this system. So that was the impetus of this project to bring massage therapists as part of the healthcare system as well, along with everybody else. So looking at nurses and dentists who are considered essential, but if they're considered essential healthcare workers, why are the dentists canceling all the appointments for my kids? They're not working either. Right. So who's able to work and who's not and why and why not? And can we do to help them now, potentially now, but also chronicling it so that we can know how to help people in the future. We talk about moral distress in, a, in the ethics classes that we offer. And we certainly, I mean, you can't teach people how to work in the hospital without talking about moral distress. Um, you talk a little bit about, unpack that for, for our listeners who aren't familiar with that concept and, and how it fits in here. 
Very good. So moral distress, and I, this is not my area of expertise. And this is one thing that I'm really excited about having Chloe on here on the project, um, because this is more of her area. And now I'm going to make sure that I tell you right. So I'm going to go actually pull up my definitions that we put into the survey so that people can know if they haven't seen it yet. So let me just get to that. Well, I'm, I'm actually, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it actually. So oh, good. Thank it, you. it says, it says moral distress is the stress to healthcare workers feel when they believe they know the right thing to do on the job, right? Quote unquote, but something in the environment prevents them from being able to do it, such as law slash policies or other team members slash colleagues, patients slash family members, et cetera. Yes. And that's, that's sort of, that's definitely how we teach it and, and understand it. Very good. And it's a little different from moral injury. Um, so moral injury takes that a step further. And that is what we generally see more in um, the military. But it's potentially it could move into moral injury as well. So we just wanted to capture and see how this was impacting everybody from this perspective. Because if you, who are you feeling is letting you down? Yeah. Are you being let down? Yeah. Is it your coworkers? Is it your associations? Is it the healthcare system? Is it the governor yeah. who's opening up the state right next to you? Right. Well, and I think I, I thought it was really interesting because we, um, a couple of us on the team at HealWell took it and we, um, we sent the link out to the rest of our therapists. And we were talking this morning on our, <laughs> on our, um, our biweekly call about it. And, um, I, I felt a little stupid because I am so used to thinking of moral distress in terms of sort of um, having to do when I'd rather not. And um, so when I got to the question about in the last week, how often have you felt moral distress in relation to your profession? I checked never because I'm like, I'm not working. I don't have to deal with, you know, the things I usually have to deal with at the children's hospital, in the ICU, you know, in the places where I work. And then my colleague said, oh, I check four times a day or more. And I was like, oh, really? And I was like, oh, I should have checked that too. Because, <laughs> you know, I am insanely busy right now as the executive director of HealWell because we are trying to support massage therapists in managing this massive moral distress at knowing, like you said, that in, whenever there's been a crisis, we're right there. And the way we support this crisis right now is to not be there. And, uh -huh. you know, some of us aren't great at sewing masks. So what do we do instead? <laughs> you make podcasts. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> well, and, and Which I just also very, very helpful. Right. <laughs> totally. Um, but I wonder, you know, I think one of the fun things about our podcast is, is that you know, when, when I say to Kathy, you know, I texted her in a flurry on Monday and I said, oh, like Georgia says Friday, they can start massaging. And like, are you guys starting to see this? And it hadn't occurred to me that it would sort of happen this soon. And um, so I'm, I'm certainly interested. And I know our listeners partly show up here because they want to know in Canada, hey. what's, what's happening? What are you guys seeing? Yeah. Uh, nothing yet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, the hands aren't moving yet. Yeah. Um, you know, I can speak to what's going on here in BC and Kel, I sent you the latest mm -hmm. that we got from our regulator about, you know, kind of where we are at in this and our public health officials and Ministry of Health are saying, 
look, we're still too early in understanding this virus to really start to formulate what our next step will be, but we're thinking about what the next steps might be. But yeah. we're, still, we're still looking at, you know, for those of us who have close personal contact with our patients, still looking at, you know, maybe the end of May, maybe the end of June, mm-hmm. where we might start to be able to resume some sense of practice with very specific guidelines to follow. Well, what will some of those guidelines be? Well, that's the kind of stuff that they're trying to sort out. So a few things that were mentioned by, um, you know, our, our officials here in BC are things like, okay, so for example, massage therapists, if you start to resume your practice at a time where we think we've got this enough under control that it's not as volatile an issue as it is right now, Um, things like you might have to stagger your patients. So if you have a waiting room, only one person in the waiting room, you can't have people passing, coming and going. You need to leave time in between people so that you can take all the necessary uh, cleaning, extra cleaning measures. I mean, as massage therapists, there are some of these things that I think we already do, like the cleaning of our hands before and after each, each patient, making sure that our, you know, our, we're meeting all our practice standards as far as, you know, some of those basics of hygiene. Um, but, you know, some of the other measures are perhaps in the early stages where we're going to be wearing a mask and we'll have to ask our patient to wear a mask. So there, I think here they're still kind of sorting it out, but what we're, what we're hearing right now is the earliest we can hope for, um, you know, maybe June or July. Um, at, at this point, but uh, we do have a couple of provinces that are chomping at the bit to like, okay, let's throw open the gates. And interestingly, Quebec is one of those provinces that is chomp- chomping at the bit to throw open the gates, and they've got the worst of the worst. Like their numbers are the highest here in Canada. So interesting mm-hmm. that they're the ones that are like, okay, we gotta we gotta get people back to work here, but they're struggling with some of the highest numbers of people infected and, and deaths as a result of COVID. Well, you, you bring up an interesting point there, Kathy, as well, when you were talking about how we're used to hand hygiene before we start our work and then after. But that isn't necessarily the extent that the WHO recommends either, right? I mean, Absolutely. when they talk about the five points of hand hygiene, we're really looking at so you wash your hands when you touch one thing. If you touch any piece of furniture, you should wash your hands again. So yeah, that's just not something that I was ever trained in. I don't think that that is anything that massage schools are teaching at this point. Is that something we need to bring in? I don't know. Yeah. Um, the single-use packets of lubricant, if you're using those, not rubbing alcohol like John was saying last week. <laughs> yeah. See? He's yes. funny. But those, those types of things, like, are you sanitizing your bottle every single time? Every single time you touch it. Right. There are so many different places that we haven't necessarily considered yet that are struggles for healthcare systems to the point where they even will have monitored um, hand sanitizers with like your badge will say who did it and who didn't, or it will be based on a floor, right? To see if the exact number of people are um, doing proper hand hygiene. 
that's not something that we're, yes, we wash our hands. Yes, we wash them before and after, but you're not washing them necessarily multiple times a session. Yeah, oh. agreed, agreed. You know, they're, they're gonna be, and so that's, we're still in that place of not knowing, you know, we're, we're still waiting to hear what our new normal is going to be. And, you know, we don't even know how long the new normal will last for, you know, are we talking months? Are we talking years? Are we talking things that cycle seasonally? You know, we, we just don't know yet. Right. So um, really completely unsettling for many of us, which I'm sure is some of the information that you're seeing coming out of your, of your COPE project. And I want to bring it back to that because it's such an important project. Um, and and one, of my, one of my questions for you is, is there something specific that you're hoping to do with this information? You know, because it, it is so unique that you're gathering this during. And mm -hmm. I think the speed which with you were, you were, we mentioned this at the, at the front end before we started recording, the speed with which you've been able, you and your, your group have been able to get this going is, um, unprecedented. Um, but is there, is there something specific that you want to do with this information as, after you've gathered it? I think there's multiple things that we're, we're hoping to glean from the information in a number of different ways. Um, so to break it down to one specific thing, I couldn't say that. One, we want to know how this is impacting the different professions. Just basic description of the different ways and how people are coping. Because we do ask questions about coping behavior as well. What are the ways that different professions are coping versus others? Um, those that are locked into the system versus those who are locked out. And the piece of this is, is it's, as this has been evolving over the, we're now in our third week of this project. We got everything pulled together from kind of the initial glean in our brains to launched in two and a half weeks. I have never been on a project that has exploded that quickly. The good thing, we also started with no funding. Uh, looks like I'll be able to shift some funding from a different project that we were very um, budget conscious about and we had some extra money from a seed grant from Prisma Health. Looks like we'll be able to shift some money over to this project to help um, get some funding there. But this is something that will hopefully provide us enough data for years to come because we're creating this database of all these different health professionals that we will hopefully be able to go back to for years to see these long-term impacts on these professions. Looking at how, who stays in the profession, who has to now drop out. We know, John mentioned last, last time that people get out of this profession very quickly, out of massage therapy, within, I believe now we're at three to four years, somewhere between two and four years. They go to school, they start a practice, or they start as an employee somewhere, and then they're done. How many of those people who've been in practice for a long time didn't stay in? Yeah. I think that is going to be some of those questions. And then what are the things that we need to understand if something like this happens again, so that we aren't locking out people who could potentially help? 
what are the safeguards that we need in place and the education for all, whatever that might be, in place to be able to get people back into a system. But I think it should also be noted that it's not like it's doctors are locked in, doctors and nurses who are in the hierarchy, and then massage therapists and complementary are locked out. What we are seeing is there are some physicians who are locked out. Yeah. They're not able to practice based on, they're not able to see patients the way they normally would. So it's impacting them in a different way and they might be locked out of the system. So we have to keep all that in mind. And what about the ones that are the massage therapists who are being told they have to work? Because that's been mentioned on your show a couple of times too. Yeah. What's it doing to them? Well, and I, I feel, I really hope that massage therapists do participate and continue to participate as you send out additional surveys and, and that people commit to submitting video uh, journals because I, I really feel like um, moral distress is so poorly understood as a factor of job dissatisfaction and burnout. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here this morning, like I've probably spent a good part of this week talking with all kinds of different stakeholders about how do we, what do we do with the hodgepodge state by state, county by county, like, you know, we can't be the world police, but the perception of the profession is somewhat at stake. The, certainly the health of the people we serve is at stake and our health, um, you know, hearing, really trying to make space for, I mean, the right thing to do right now, at least for me personally, I feel like, is to hear all the voices and to hear all the people who are saying, this is no worse than the flu and I'm going back to work and I don't close when you know this is happening or that is happening. And to also hear how certain I feel that we're not going back for a year. You know, and to, you know, I asked our team this morning, I said, you know, I really want you guys to, I'm counting on you to tell me I'm crazy. And that, you know, the, the degree of certainty I feel right now feels unsafe. Um, and, and I want to make sure that I'm not just reacting. And I know that there is a part of me that doesn't trust massage therapists to do the right thing. And that I feel distress because I want to be a voice that helps people make good choices for themselves. And I want them to know and have skills that they don't know or have, and that they're not going to get in this state, you know, in this like mental state, in this professional state. Um, and I hope that your study elicits some of those conflicts that are happening in other professions as well. And sort of this idea that it's not just that I feel like the right thing to do in sort of the broad sense is to be touching people right now. But it's also that like the right thing to do is to not fan the flames of enmity and the right thing to do is to be loud, but also to be quiet. And there's just a lot of conflict that um, it would be really incredible if, if this, if your instrument elicits some of that real human nuanced stuff. And that's exactly why we did the video journal, because we're not entirely sure that the yeah. instrument itself will get us all that information. Yeah. And so that's why we love mixed methods is to be able and we didn't want it just to be somebody writing something out. We didn't want it just to be someone recording a voice video. We'll take that. But I want to see their faces. 
I want to yeah. see what you look like when you are telling me these things. Yes. Because that theater background is yeah. coming into play. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. So that, yeah. that tells me something when, even if it's unintentional, I want people to give me their raw, you don't have to write a script. I just want you to go in and record your first thoughts based on these prompts. Yeah. And I want to see how you say it. Yeah. Where are your pauses? Where are you thinking deeply? Mm -hmm. Because those mean things to me as a researcher that I can then go back and, you know, I can categorize and figure out what these mean as a whole. What is a whole group of people in this one profession? How are they expressing it? Yeah. What is this profession sort of expressing? And seeing how that is explained by the people in it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have to, there's a proverb that I have to, or there's this, this African saying about, I need to look it up because it's, um, I got to get it right. While you're, while you're looking it up, what you're talking about reminds me of um, sort of uh, Dr. John Gottman, um, who's called Dr. Love often, and he did 40 years worth of studies uh, with couples. And he did video, um, he took video of couples having arguments. And he and his researchers coded what they called micro expressions, and that he was able to predict with a shocking and chilling amount of certainty couples who would and wouldn't stay together because of micro expressions of contempt. And yep. that when there was contempt, I love that one. the relationships didn't last. And that, yeah. um, so I'm really curious and interested in how you guys will, will use that information you just described about how people pause and whether they scrunch up their face and sort of what their general demeanor is and how that goes into your interpretation of the data that you gather. Yeah. And we've even talked about how, what is our methodology going to be and what other resources do we need to consider when we're going to do that data analysis and who should we bring in to help make those consideration of the themes that we're seeing. Yeah. I found the saying, and this uh -huh. is one of the reasons that um, the study was kind of important to me is that, uh, that until the lions have their own historians, the history of the hunt will always glorify the hunter. Hmm. So unless massage therapists are included in, in this and other complementary and integrative healthcare practitioners, unless they're included, yeah, we don't know how it's impacting them and the history will be forgotten. Yeah. So this is allowing us to chronicle and identify how this is impacting entire professions. And so that's what we're hoping to find. And maybe there's regional differences. Maybe there's, and this is international. So we are trying to gather data from all over. We know we've missed peak in many areas. Mm. Um, however, we were just trying to hit it before the peak hit us. Yeah. And so we got it when we could. And so some of it will be reflecting back. Yeah. Well, and so honestly, I, I think some degree, to some degree, the sort of, beyond the acute phase will be even more interesting um, as, it, mm -hmm. as people continue to make their way. I mean, I think that's going to be, uh, many people are predicting that we'll open back up however that looks, and then we'll probably have to close up again, um, or possibly. And 
you know, it'll, it'll that's what we don't again. want. Right. And we'll all have to decide and we'll all be in moral distress again. <laughs> so right. um, I'm sad to Which say. Which will be part B of the second study. chance. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, right. And that's what we're hoping for is to be able to follow back up with people, even five, 10 years down the road. Yeah, yeah. If they have the same email address, we can go back and contact you later. If you said that you're willing to let us yeah. contact you, guess what? We're gonna. We're gonna, we're gonna contact you for a while. That's awesome. <laughs> but you don't have to answer. We right. <laughs> so um, we're going to put the link to the to the survey in the show notes and we'll Here. we'll um, pass it around as widely as we possibly can um, and really encourage massage therapists to participate. Um, is there and any, students uh, and, and students. massage therapy students, right. massage yes, students. Too. Yes. And mm -hmm. and all you massage therapists out there and whoever is listening. This is all for all healthcare providers. So share it with your nurse friends and your PT friends and your whoever else is is providing healthcare services. Um, yeah. The you know the researchers are really looking for as wide a swath of providers as they can get. Um, yeah. Well, and great to hear that it's international because that was going to be one of my questions. Yeah. You know, are you looking for exclusively U.S. data or can Canadians Ooh. jump in there too? We want everybody um, because uh, luckily our um, survey software that we're, gives us um, longitude and latitude. So oh, we're cool. able to know where the people are from. Oh, cool. And then we're going to be able to, to compare the metrics and the reported data of the epidemic in, or the pandemic in their area. Oh, mm -hmm. that's very cool. So we'll be able to go back and look at that as well. So although you're not getting asked specifically where you are, the, our survey um, we're using Qualtrics. It does gather that information for us. So we know where you are. Yay. <laughs> so, yes, it is international. We really hope to get, um, it'll be interesting to see how it changes for different areas uh, across the globe. And what does this, this mean for the different professions and regulations as well. So we'll, like I said, there are things that we will be able to look at for years with this data set. And that's what's really exciting about it. And I'm really excited about the team who will have all these different questions and who else can we bring in to potentially add in these different pieces and what will practice look like in the future? Mm -hmm. Are we gonna be doing telehealth in some way to talk about self-care with our patients? Right. Is that a possibility? Well, why not? Yeah. So we, we have evidence that shows that self-care and self-massage is effective. Yeah. And, and how it's, will that change the demographics in the profession? Because I, I know there are massage therapists who'd be like, nope, that's not my bag. If that's what massage looks like, I'm out. Exactly. And yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. um, well, we will, we will strongly encourage all of our healthcare friends to participate uh, so Thank that you guys can get lots and lots of data um, and do fun and exciting things with it. Uh, and and we will definitely have to have you back uh, to talk about some of your other research around uh, education and um, practitioner perceptions and, and all the other cool stuff that uh, you're doing to help us look at, you know, how we fit, why we fit, why we don't fit and all that stuff. Well, and thank you for thank you for giving a voice to this, because yes. I think that's been, you know, for many of us, because we do what we do and we're in close contact and we, we make a living by touching people and, you know, you're a massage therapist as well. So we know how much we value that part of it. And I think just to give a voice, you know, you know, and as you said, the shut ins and, and the, the ins and the shutouts and 
you know, to, to have that opportunity to just talk about how we're feeling about this, I think is such an important thing for all of us. I mean, that is essentially why Kel and I are doing the podcast because right. it's a great outlet for yeah. us and for yeah. any of our guests we bring on. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, great opportunity for us to be able to talk about how we're feeling about this. Um, you know, many of us very chafed at the beginning that we're the shut out and then kind of like, well, I'm not so sad I'm shut out, you know, because yeah. it's a lot safer not being right on the front line of this. So a lot of yeah. emotion. So thank you for giving voice uh, to, to many out there and on both sides of, of this uh, thing that's happening. And I Absolutely. think that a really important piece, I think that we mentioned earlier is the change, right? So that I'm okay. It's understanding that it's going to change every single day. Yeah. I had, I, I told a student that I was chatting with on Twitter. I was like, you know, there's good days and bad days and meh days. Yeah. And yesterday, what I had told him was yesterday was, was, was not a good day. <laughs> Which of the other two of us. Yeah. And I think it's just so important for all of us to recognize that this is not normal. Right. <laughs> right. It's not normal. You and I love what Danella said about it. You don't have to be productive. This is our, your time to be quiet. And I would value some time to be quiet. Yes. But my workload has exploded exponentially. Yeah. Due to numerous different things and the workplace has changed. It now includes a 12 and 15 year old and cats and dogs and right. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> right. Yes. And so I think even acknowledging that, that this is painful yeah. and that this is hard and we, the understanding, the ambiguity that we are all facing and that it's not just us that it's everyone is vitally important. And I really like that. That's what y'all are doing here. You're bringing that to the forefront. We are trying. So thank you. Yeah. Thanks for being in the muck with us. I like the muck. <laughs> Excellent. I don't mind getting dirty. That's right. No we mud, throw some lotus. Exactly. It's rainy down here today. Oh, uh, down there in <laughs> Greenville. Out there in Greenville. Yeah. Greenville. Um, well, we are so glad that you were with us and uh, we hope that people jump online as soon as they hear this and uh, participate and and continue to participate um thank you all for joining us today and always uh i'm still cal cates executive director of heal well where we do everything we can to make massage therapy matter and i'm kathy ryan very grateful that heal well does everything they can to make massage <laughs> therapy matter and this is massage therapy without borders a podcast uh, where we discuss big and sticky issues in the massage profession through the lens of Canadian American practice regulation education in order to formulate and share solutions to move us forward into whatever new normal is going to look like. <laughs> if, yeah. you, if you like what you've been hearing, well, and even if what you've been hearing has made you sad and uncomfortable, um, we still want you to <laughs> check out our previous episodes and uh, if you haven't already and take a few minutes to go to iTunes and leave us a review. Also, please share and post and like uh, not only this podcast, but the link to the survey that we just discussed for this very important research tool. Send us an email at info at healwell.org and let us know what you want to hear about. We do this for you, so um, we want to do what you want to do in a basic sense. I mean, we're still going to go rogue, but we want to know what you want to hear about. So let us know. <laughs> Thank you, and we'll, uh, we'll hear you next week.
Massage Therapy Without Borders is produced by Healwell. Our theme music is by Harry Pickens. Send us feedback at info at healwell.org. That's info at H-E-A-L-W-E-L-L.org. And please check out our classes at healwell.org. New episodes will be available weekly via your favorite podcast app and on Healwell's Facebook page. Thanks for listening.